My name is Fran Stoddard, and we are going to talk today uh, about building and sustaining vital neighborhoods. These Community Matter calls are brought to you by the Orton Family Foundation. They are an ongoing series designed to help people in their communities take charge of their futures. On today's call, we'll hear about what it takes for your neighborhood to achieve greatness, for residents to act neighborly and work together to achieve shared goals. I'm going to start with a few call logistics, and then we'll hear from our guest speakers who have done exceptional work in Garland, Texas. Then we'll challenge them with your questions from the Google Doc. We also welcome your insights um, in the Google Doc during this call. Due to the high volume of participants, we are going to put everybody on mute to assure good audio quality uh, for all. Later in the call, I might ask a few of you to come off mute to join the conversation with your questions and expertise. So that will be simple, and I'll just walk you through it when we get there. We encourage you to stay engaged via the Google Doc. The link is in your email. It's a shared online document for note-taking and questions. You can open that document in your browser and follow along as Orton's Caitlin Harros takes notes. You and your fellow listeners can also add your own notes or questions. It's a good idea to skim through there now to see the questions that have already been submitted to avoid redundancy. So if you have a question during the call, just enter it there. Uh, we hope you also share your wisdom, comments, and examples by helping to answer questions in the Google Doc. We'll leave this document up also after the call so you can be taking notes and then add your comments right after the call as well. We'll then send that document around to all participants and make it also available on the Community Matters website. Since the Google Doc can only handle 50 people as an active as active document editors at a time, if you're not adding to the document by using the edit button, please just close out and reopen in the read-only mode after you have made uh, your addition. Or if you're having trouble with the Google Doc during the call, clicking on the refresh icon should do it. Okay, so on to our conversation today and our fabulous guests. Felisa Connor has over 16 years of experience in public engagement and community building, most recently as the Neighborhood Vitality Manager for the City of Garland, Texas, who has gratefully showered her with a number of awards. Ms. Connor and her work have also received national recognition, including Garland winning first place in the 2013 Best Neighborhood Program Awards from Neighborhoods USA. Her professional experience includes community engagement, capacity building, grants management, liaison activities, program development, and training. Thank you for joining us, Felisa. Felisa, you're very welcome. And so I wondered if you could get started by talking about the principles of neighborhood management that really serve to build capacity and increase community vitality. Okay. Yes, Fran, thank you so much for the introduction and for the invitation to be a part of this conference call. If I had to describe, I guess, the corner piece of what we do in terms of neighborhood vitality, it would be that we embrace the idea and the philosophy that everyone has a role to play in, in, in Garland creating and sustaining the type of community that we want to have. Uh, every homeowner, business, nonprofit, uh, government employees, everyone has a role to play. And so over the past uh, 10 to 12 years, a lot of the work through the Office of Neighborhood Vitality has 
uh, has involved working to build the capacity of not only residents, but most recently we've added a component of where we provide capacity building for faith-based groups and nonprofits. Uh, in the in 2002, when I started with the city of Garland or came back to the city of Garland, uh, we at that time we started talking a great deal about our role as a first. Uh, tier suburb and what that meant for how we would continue to develop out as a first tier suburb, we are very quickly approaching build out. And so we started to think about how do we engage the other important players in this conversation, that being our residents who play a very, a very important role in sustaining uh, vital neighborhoods because how they choose to invest in their home, how they choose to engage with um, other networks that increases social capital, uh, it uh, encourages pride, community pride, and those types of emotional heart, uh, pulling on those types of emotional heartstrings are very important to get people to uh, act in neighborly ways. So uh, we started uh, just a, some key milestones and what we've done in 2003, we started the annual neighborhood summit, which was a, which is an opportunity for residents, nonprofits, service providers, businesses, as well as uh, practitioners in neighborhood and community development to come together, uh, hear about best practices that relate to community building and redevelopment, revitalization practices, and also provide an opportunity for us to look at what's happening in our city and in the region and have some uh, training or engage in workshops that provide an opportunity for discussion with uh, with policymakers, with uh, city leaders, uh, and and other city staff as well as people from neighboring communities. So that started in 2003 and it continues today. And we've been very fortunate to cover topics like placemaking, uh, neighborhood neighbor empowerment, with an emphasis on if the city is not a part of the picture. What are you as a neighbor going to do? And so we've really tried to build up that component over, over the years. And to add to that, in 2007, we started the Garland Neighborhood Management Academy. And the Neighborhood Management Academy has uh, three educational tracks, one being uh, citizen engagement, which focuses on the form of government we have. We have a council management form of government helping citizens understand what that means in terms of how policies in Garland are made and giving and providing them with insight in, into such things as what's the difference between CIP money, general fund money, where does it go, how do we fund our police department, how do you get your roads, roads improved, and things like that. And then we add to that a city tour, a review of the budget as well as a scavenger hunt to really make sure that they understand what the city government is, what we do, and then more importantly, how they're able to access resources and services. And that's the citizen engagement track. The second track is leadership development, being able to um, recognize emerging leaders and to nurture the, those seeds of community interest that we see in them, as well as when city council members uh, come in contact with different people that have interest in, in Garland's growth and development, helping to um, connect them to the city through the, through the academy. 
So we base a lot of the leadership development on the definition of leadership being uh, leadership is influence. And so how will you use your influence to have the type of neighborhood experience that you want? And so we've enjoyed uh, we've enjoyed meeting people all across the city and seeing so many people uh, grow. Councilman LeMay, who's on the call with me, is also has also engaged in, in those classes, and so he can attest to the energy that comes from participating in the academy, being able to network with different people across the city and other community partners. Our third track, uh, which is neighborhood management, focuses not just on building sustainable neighborhood organizations, but understanding how your your day-to-day activity, uh, the calendar that you create for your organization, being able to make sure that those activities and and how you use your resources align with achieving your community, your neighborhood vision. So in that track, we do things on goal setting, uh, project management, um, understanding key components of a neighborhood of a neighborhood organization or a sustainable neighborhood organization, and also how do you, things like fundraising, assessing different resources, but being able to look beyond just the things that are given to you, how do you as an organization uh, use assets that are readily available to you that you may not always be aware of uh, looking for those hidden treasures. So those are some uh, key key initiatives over the past few years. Oh, and I did leave out one, our Neighborhood Vitality Matching Grant. In 2004, the voters approved $5 million uh, for for neighborhood groups to to be able to accomplish projects on in public spaces. And mm-hmm. so neighborhood groups are apply, able to apply for up to $100,000 to do improvements such as greening walls, entryway features, uh, lighting features, um, light, new lighting in an area, as well as median landscaping and things like that, things that help to enhance the neighborhood and address uh, aesthetic issues that they, in the past they may not have had resources uh, to help with. So that project, that program has been in place in 2004, and to date we have a little less than $2 million left as a part of that program. And in, in, in this time, we've also produced several publications that are important to our uh, neighborhood groups, such as our resource guide, our organizing guide, and our neighborhood toolbox. And we continue to grow those things. Um, even as we speak, we're still we're working on a major initiative, which is our DIY garland, do it yourself, not by yourself. And we can talk a little bit more about that uh, later as we talk talk through other questions. But did want to make sure that uh, Councilman LeMay had a chance to speak as well. Okay, Felissa, thank you so much. That's a that's a great place to kind of get us started about the amazing stuff that is going on in Garland. What a what a what a lucky area. Um, so let's uh, talk to Councilman LeMay. Uh, Scott LeMay uh, serves on the City Council of Garland, where he's lived with his family since 2001. He became involved in his neighborhood association and then served as president of the Camelot Neighborhood Association Board. Councilman LeMay's neighborhood service inspired him then to get involved in city government. He was appointed to the Charter Review Committee and also to the Garland Plan Commission from 2007 to 2013 when he ran for and was elected to city council. So 
congratulations, Scott, and and welcome to the call. Well, thank you. And uh, you know, I have to tell you that uh, Felicia is is absolutely uh, the expert, and I can tell you that she is the first person, the first City of Garland staff person uh, that I ever had any contact with um, when when I first got involved in neighborhoods. And uh, you know, it's interesting that uh, you know I am I am the benefit I've been the beneficiary of her of her experience and, and her influence. And, and now, hopefully, uh, you know, through my neighborhood and, and through the city council, um, I'm able to further that um, that mission, those goals, uh, because you know, just like the the things that you know, community matters, neighborhoods matter, um, and, and that's what got me involved. That's what got me interested, um, and and that is you know, not necessarily my sole focus, but I can tell you, it is my primary focus. Um, you know, and you know, cities cities are known for a lot of things, you know, for the industry that is located there or corporate campuses or shopping areas and things like that, and, and those are all great. But when it comes down to the end of the day, cities are built on neighborhoods. Um, and when you look in the window of the city, that's what you see. Uh, and, and so it is, it is of vital importance to all of us to keep those neighborhoods vital, attractive, prospering, thriving—all of those words—and um, because you know that is what people are going to see. That—that's what—that's the reflection of the city, and, and I believe that a hundred percent. And that—and again, that is just something that I—that I try to—I try to promote at every turn. And, and Councilman LeMay, since it was brought up, the, the Neighborhood Management Academy. Uh, you took part in that. Can you speak to how that helped you become a better community leader? Absolutely. You know, because it's not, you know, you're, you're meeting people around the city from, you know, from neighborhoods, from, from every, every side, every portion of the city. Um, and, and so you, you know, a lot of times when you get involved in, when, when you're a volunteer, um, a lot of times you can, you can feel like you're the only one. You know, it's, it's not it's not difficult uh, to think that you know I'm the only one that cares sometimes. And and so you see that there are people all over the city who are interested in the same things that you are, who have who who share those same goals, and, and, you know, for their neighborhood because their neighborhood impacts the city just like mine does. And, and so you you meet those people. And one, you can be encouraged by them, by their participation, but also you learn from them uh, because something that, that is being addressed in one neighborhood is very rarely isolated to just that neighborhood. Um, if it affects one, it, it generally affects more than one. And, and so you start to learn from that and, and you, 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 you share information and you take bits and pieces of, you know, this group does this and we do that and, and you share that. Um, and it, it helps you sort of build build your base of knowledge um, to take back to your neighborhood um, and to start applying those things um, and, and getting others in you know sharing that with the other board members in, uh, in your neighborhood or, or your neighbors in general. Um, and the, you know it's information is key. You know a lot of times what what we think we know versus what we really know 
uh, can can be very far apart, and, and learning what the possibilities are um, is is the first step uh, when you're when you're wanting to do an improvement project, uh, or, or even just organize a neighborhood. Um, you need to kind of have some guidelines, and uh, otherwise, you you have the tendency you will go off in the wrong direction. Um, and, and having that management neighborhood management academy gives you the information of of just starting at A, where to start, and then B, how to use what you have, how to use your resources, um, and, and how to gain resources. And where to start from. Terrific. No. Uh, it, it sounds like we're going to have a terrific uh, conversation, so I, I think we'll get right into the questions, and I encourage both of you to also give us very specific examples about how um, some of this can manifest itself. Uh, a question that comes up a lot, of course, is how to sustain momentum. Uh, Megan from North Carolina wrote in, how do you sustain momentum without exhausting the dedicated few who are always willing to lead and re-energize a neighborhood organizations whose leaders, you know, might be pretty tired? Uh, so why don't we uh, start with you, Felisa, and we'd like to hear from Scott maybe how he might have even had to do that on the ground. Okay, Melissa? sure. Uh, with the, the, I know that as we've talked, we've used the word neighborhood management quite a bit. And so what we've done in Garland, we've taken a concept that I originally learned about as a part of the Neighborhood Reinvestment Training Institute. We've taken that concept and looked at it very closely to decide what what does this mean for Garland? So in the, what we what happened is we developed what we call a neighborhood management co continuum because the reality is that great neighborhoods are not a, an accident. And if we're going to have the kind of community that, community that we want to have, no one gets to sit on the sideline and say, you do that or you make it happen. Everyone has a role. So at a, at a minimum, everyone has a responsibility to take care of their own individual property. And so uh, what, what our hope is through engagement and training opportunities and exposure to different ideas and initiatives that we believe will, will make our city great, we try to encourage individuals to connect with the people on their block, encourage those people, those group, those people on those blocks to come together and work uh, work as a team to develop and uh, to develop and, and share a vision with their entire neighborhoods and and in the process uh, access resources that will help you sustain that vital community because staying inside the house and not paying attention won't get you won't get you where you want to be. So the work that we do in our marketing and in our uh, our branding of our activities. We try to create a, an awareness of uh, what it takes to have a great neighborhood and how you can be involved. Uh, we have uh, resources that are available to individuals, but those are very, those are those are very small, very few, and don't necessarily have the impact that they could have when you have a larger group of people that are working together, sharing ideas, uh, that are working together to. Uh, bring their different skills and abilities because you know what what 
each one of us as individuals, what we don't know far exceeds what we do know. So just having that awareness that I can do more by working with my neighbors is, is very important. So we try to communicate this neighborhood management continuum, and then we train to that continuum through the academy. Um, and then when we have the neighborhood summit, this is always in mind. And what neighborhood management is, if I, if I neglected to uh, define that earlier, is neighborhood management refers to the effort to nurture and sustain vital neighborhoods and influence others to cooperate in the, in, in the effort. And so when we refer to neighborhood management capacity, it refers to the skill and the capabilities of people to actually engage and to address the challenges that every neighborhood faces, every, every neighborhood faces at some point, and that the only difference between a neighborhood, a healthy neighborhood, and an unhealthy neighborhood is that in healthy neighborhoods, people feel able to manage what's happening. They know where to go for resources. They know where to go if they need a problem addressed, and then they're willing to go through the process of working through those issues, but in, un in unhealthy neighborhoods, people give up, they stop investing, and so what we, one of the main uh, priorities or primary things that I do through my work is constantly remind our residents that the, the quality of life we experience in neighborhood is a combination of choices. So what choices are you going to make? that will sustain your future. So is it that I need to be more involved in a neighborhood group? And that's not the end-all, be-all to everything, but it can certainly help because, as you know, neighborhood uh, associations create a, just a, a consistent forum for people to bring new ideas for uh, groups, for neighbors to be able to provide input on city processes when they're making plans, if something is happen, happening with infrastructure improvements, those are the first people we call because they, uh, it's always our hope that they have broad participation and so that they can get the word out, uh, word mm -hmm. out to others. So we, we, we have an, we have an intentional effort, intentional programs to try to promote people and promote people. And when we see interest waning, then we'll just come together as a team to say, okay, these are the things that have worked in the past. These are some things that aren't working anywhere, it, working as well anymore. So, what do we need to tweak in order to uh, to get better and to build momentum again? Because everything goes through cycles. So, you have to be able to uh, re-energize, uh, do our part to re-energize people where we can. And that, that's that's terrific, and and gives us some good guidelines. And I'm wondering if Scott can speak to. What what have you done to kind of re-energize or keep the momentum going? Because there there are always slumps, and suddenly it seems like your organization just isn't really happening. And uh, how do you how do you re-energize? Well, I I can tell you uh, from 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 my experience. You know, I live in a neighborhood that started building out in the early '70s, um, and a lot of those original homeowners are still there. Um, and given the time period, you can imagine they have, they are getting older now. Uh, just There's no easy way to say that, but that's the truth. Um, and so my wife and I move into the neighborhood, and at the time we're, we're in our early, uh, we'll just say we're in our early 40s at that point, 
And, and so we, we came into a group that had been sustained for a long time by a very core group of, of individuals who, who had done it, seen it, been there many times over. Um, and, and we came in and some younger families started moving into the neighborhood and, and, and got involved as well. Um, and I think that really helped re-energize uh, the, the association. And one of the best things that the that that the older residents did for us is is basically stay out of our way sometimes. Um, you know, they've seen it, they've done it, they've been there. Uh, you know, they've tried this, they've tried that, whatever. Um, but you know, some some new blood, if you will, came in and 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 they let us go. You know, they 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 encouraged us. Uh, you know, to try this to get more membership or, or whatever it was that we were doing with you know, neighborhood picnics and things like that. And, uh, you know, they they didn't get in our way and say, oh, well, you know, we've tried that before and it just didn't work or we did that 20 years ago and, you know, and so on. And and so I think that um, ha has helped revitalize the group. And, and that's something that, you know, as far as, as, far as my neighborhood in, in particular, I mean, that's something that we really – you know, we have to address is is as the neighborhood transitions um, and to keep that spirit sort of going. That's that's great. Um, you know, actually, somebody uh, did write with with a similar situation. I think it was Estelle from Virginia. And actually, Estelle, if you ha if you're listening and you want to press star six to speak a little bit more to your specific situation. Um, she asked, what tools can you provide me with to revive my neighborhood as the population is mostly elderly? And, and her tweak to that is she said the younger population are renters. And, um, and she does say here that they're reliable. I think that's, that's what she means. I'm not sure um, if, Estelle, you might be on the line. But uh, is I don't know if there's if do you have anything additional to say about kind of that old neighborhood and that shift uh Melissa yeah. because I think that's a, a very important piece that's going on. Well, and that's you know, I'm sorry, go ahead, please. Well, I was just going to say there are two resources that I found a, a few years ago that provided uh some interesting ideas on involving different sectors of the population. And one was the Boomer Volunteer Engagement uh, book. It's called Boomer Volunteer Engagement, Collaborate Today, Thrive Tomorrow. And it provides, uh, it's really written more for nonprofits on how to engage the Boomer population and provides a step-by-step -step guide on uh, how you recognize, train, uh, monitor, and evaluate the work. But I found that some of the worksheets that come with that have been great uh, resources for neighborhood groups as well. And so in the academy, in, in our uh, we have what we call a friend-raising class. This, that's what we call our volunteer engagement class. It's called friend-raising. And we, uh, we've used some of those worksheets. We purchased the book, and we've used some of those worksheets. And so I think that it, it provides some insights on what, uh, what motivates uh, that particular population, and in addition to that, for this area, we found that a lot of our seniors have been excellent assets in uh, in helping to keep our neighborhood strong and vital because they have a greater interest sometimes, and sometimes in protecting their investment. 
And one of the thing, one other thing that I wanted to make note of is that when we make assumptions about younger people and renter populations, sometimes we we miss opportunities because we've already decided what they think and what they feel based on our own perception. So you miss the opportunity to be able to work with some really great people because in too many cases people decide that renters don't care or that young people don't care Mm -hmm. when it's more important to have a dialogue and create an opportunity to start a conversation and engage them before you make that decision because you might be very pleasantly surprised. Great point. Thank you. We also, um, Shelley from Georgia also asked, what strategies or approaches might you have to engage citizens from neighborhoods that don't have an association or an organization? Yes. What you know? What's worked well, and and what um, what lessons can you offer about that, or maybe even how you even begin to create an organization? But what what do you do if you don't have an organization already in place? Well, what we what we have done is that in those neighborhoods where there's not any um, there's not any involvement, we try to connect with the council representative representative in that area. And also talk to other city departments who have, who may have, maybe you received a complaint from someone, or, uh, or someone has completed one of our a survey that we uh, we we have what we call a re- we do a resident opinion survey, and we go through different neighborhoods every four years to provide input. And if people on those sheets have indicated an in- on those surveys, if they've indicated an interest in in starting a neighborhood association or the a, the council person is aware of someone who who wants to get involved then that's been a great way to try to to stimulate at, or encourage or mobilize people in a particular area with our neighborhood planning program one of the things that we do in trying to determine whether we're able to go in and start a planning process in an area is we we assess the neighborhood management capacity in that area. Are there any known leaders or, you know, whether they're informal or formal leaders, are there any known leaders that we can connect with to let them know, okay, we have these resources to help you because we provide seed money to help neighborhood organizations get started. We will make their copies for them. We will provide the uh provide food refreshments to help them with getting uh, a location uh for their event and then we'll come out to those first few meetings to help get them started and we provide training once again through the academy we try to uh lead everyone towards that because each um each core each semester we have like core classes that we repeat like nuts and bolts of a neighborhood association and so we let them know how we can help and we're very clear on the role that they have to play if they want to start a neighborhood association and as soon as they're ready to take those initial steps and uh, do their part we're here ready to support and help them through the process even up to doing a mass mailing for their target area uh, at least once a year. And, uh, and in those initial organizing stages, we do it a couple of times. Okay, terrific. It it also brings the matter of communications. And, and again, Megan from North Carolina uh, wonders if you have tips on how do you get the word out to neighbors. Uh, there's all these new technologies, so that might be one way, Facebook, 
next door, Twitter, email newsletters, print newsletters, maybe even posters. Uh, do you use just a plethora of media to get the word out to bring people together, or what have you found works? Well, for us, and I don't know if, Megan, if they've used Nextdoor for quite some time, but Nextdoor has been wonderful uh, in helping us connect with a whole new uh, sector of our community because what I've found is that a lot of times people may be turned off by starting a neighborhood association because there can be a lot of confusion about uh, what a, HO, a homeowners association is and what a voluntary neighborhood association, uh, what that is, because sometimes for many people it's one and the same. But when you start talking about forming a crime watch group or maybe even just be having to engage online, some people are more, um, they're more willing to take that uh, initial step towards neighborhood involvement online than being a part of a more formal group. So Next Door has worked great for us. We do uh, we do a biweekly newsletter called Neighborhood Chatter. That's worked very well for us. And then we've also created some of our own short videos to share with people. And uh, wherever we know that there's a lot of traffic uh, coming through, we will make those videos available to them like, uh, last year, we we uh, launched our uh, resident residential idea book, and so to encourage more investment and for people to uh, make improvements to older ranch style homes, we have a class that we provide. We have a video online, but we also work with our building inspection department to make sure that people who are coming in for new permits for uh, home improvement, that they get a copy of that so that they understand that there are some resources there to help them with ideas. And so that's been one way for us to really try to get the word out. And we also have a, a newspaper, it's a, a, our local government newspaper, it's called the City Press, that goes to every home in the city of Garland every two months. So that's a great way for us to advertise as well. And so even most recently, we've done some door-to-door -door engagement where we've gone out to promote our new program, DIY Garland. And what we found is that people have really enjoyed seeing a face come to their door rather than just always getting some um, – getting a piece of paper or a piece of direct mail, they really appreciated the fact that we were so invested in this that we're willing to come out and talk to them in the evening. Right. And um, getting getting back to, to involve Scott in a little bit more, um, how what, what strategies might did you do maybe to get younger young adults involved? Um, possibly these families had fairly grown children or young adults, was that a, a piece of what you did and did you use any of these communication means or oh, how, how do you get young adults involved? Well, I think, you know, I, I, my neighborhood is, you know, again, is, is sort of in sort of a generational transition, if you will. Um, and, and so one thing that we've had to, you know, one thing that we've, we've had to address is, is tailoring our activities and our communications to to meet that those those different demographics, if you will. Um, I mean, as far as our communication, we use all of the above. Uh, I mean, we have people who only communicate with us electronically, uh, either through our, our Facebook. Uh, we have we we are on Nextdoor. 
Um, we have 300 households on our Nextdoor account with 500 users currently. Now, you have to understand, my neighborhood has just under 1,600 homes in it. Um, but we have, you know, those types of things. But we still, we still communicate with a printed, mailed-out newsletter mm. uh, because that's how some people still get their information. Um, and, and so you can't, you can't necessarily shut one off for the other um, and, and tailoring those, that communication and then also tailoring your activities. Uh, you know, the, as far as the, you know, the, the question about tools for reviving a neighborhood that, with a, a, an elderly population, um, you know, we, we've, we've gauged our activities. We, you know, we have a, a large portion of our neighborhood who, who are interested in having a nice, quiet game group or a book club versus having a play date with all their kids. Um, and, and so not really pushing one or other forward, but, but addressing both of them. Uh, because, again, we, we have to sort of meet everybody on their level of, of, of what they're comfortable with uh, and, and what they're looking for. You know, some people are, are just gung-ho volunteers and just jump in the mix, um, and others just want to be involved. They just want to. They they just want to support the organization. Uh, maybe that's all they're able to do. You know, is just through through that type of support. Um, and, and so you have to. It, it's a balancing act for us um, of of keeping you know the the, the different groups um, engaged. You know, you you can't just you know and because that's the key. If you, if you keep the neighbors engaged with each other, they will that will move out from there. Um, and not just be isolated to this little core group of people who, 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 who are active, meaning board members or committee members, that type of thing, in a neighborhood association. It, it doesn't take that level of participation to support the organization uh, and, and to support the neighbors. Thank you, Scott. I, I want to see if we can get somebody online again. Uh, Jonathan from Washington, D.C., um, talks about, a, a, unfortunately, a, a situation that's happening in a lot of uh, cities in still working on overcoming challenges that foreclosure brings to neighborhoods. I'm wondering if Jonathan is online and can um, press star six and uh, just come on to, to talk a little bit about this issue and or we'll just see what Felissa and um, Scott have to say. But certainly... This is a problem because there are long-time residents that are either moving away. Uh, there is a sudden increase of a lot of vacant properties that can really create some stress on any neighborhood. Um, so, Jonathan, if you want to chime in, please do. But, Felissa, uh, what have you learned about how to deal with um, a neighborhood that's in real trouble like that? Well, in uh, in in this area, while we have had uh, – Foreclosures. I don't. In some, in a lot of cases, ours has have not been as bad as some communities, but still a very significant problem. I know that uh, we started uh, an interdepartmental collaboration uh, with uh, federal funding a few years ago, and called Great Homes. And the sole purpose of that was to take foreclosed take foreclosed properties in some of our areas that where the neighborhood could trend either up or down, like it was just on the brink of um, of, trend, uh, of going either way, where we, the planning department uh, and housing and neighborhood services, we worked together 
along with our organizational development team to identify locations where we might be able to have uh, some influence by taking a foreclosed property, uh, rehabbing that property, selling it to a first-time home buyer, and, and trying to stimulate some community building type actions in those neighborhoods. So uh, I can't remember exactly how many homes were repaired as a part of that program, but our work in these areas has just continued by, uh, from the planning department perspective, our work has continued by uh, intent with intentional marketing and reaching out to those areas, most most specifically in the Carriage House neighborhood, where we uh, we've launched in January we launched what we call DIY Garland. Uh, it's a collaboration with some local nonprofits and businesses, where we will work with residents who are willing to purchase uh, material at a mm-hmm. discount if they're willing to do that then we will bring in the volunteers along with our other partners uh, with the labor. And so we've chosen uh, the Carriage House neighborhood. It is is an area where we completed a neighborhood plan through our strategy for vital neighborhoods a few years ago. But it's also an area where the Great Homes Program targeted some uh, homes and purchased those to uh, that were foreclosed property, they purchased those and repaired those. And there's also an active neighborhood group there. So with that type of energy and uh, the different things that are currently going on there, we use, we are, we're using that as an opportunity to, to help improve a neighborhood that, uh, while structurally very sound, could use from some enhancement that would improve the image, possibly uh, get involved in some branding of the efforts as well, and, and, and really take action. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. Well, and, and you know, one thing on you know, and, and yes, you know, uh, our our area, you know, Texas, and, and certainly the Dallas Fort Worth metroplex area, we weren't necessarily hit as hard as some areas with with foreclosed properties, but we certainly have them. Uh, and I think the the one thing that we have to stay maintained on those is being proactive on those properties. Um, if a home is for you know a foreclosed home that's been vacant, it's abandoned essentially. It's caught up in some sort of take paperwork thing and in, in ownership, and, and we've had that happen. And, and at the same time, somebody's got to maintain that home. Um, and, and so we we with our code enforcement building inspection, staying proactive on those homes keeping them cleaned up or as cleaned up as we possibly can get them because a lot of the times the perception of decline that those homes generate is worse than the decline that we might actually be experiencing. Um, and, you know, one one bad house on a street, ten, you know, the, the perception is, well, this whole street is is bad. And, and that's not, that's certainly not the case. Uh, and so you have to stay proactive and, and, and because you were you you find that you're fighting the the perception of decline and the perception of crime are usually far worse than what the actual statistics are. Yeah, great, great point. True. Yeah. So what I would just want to mention, and in some of those cases, being able to encourage other um, other the residents or the homeowners that are there to make investment. It, it will inc- even if the, as those homes become in, uh, those homes become those foreclosed properties become vacant, 
if the other, if the rest of the neighborhood, if they're making the right type of investment choices, other people won't be afraid. Other homeowners won't be afraid to buy in, buy those homes, and you can keep the the property from staying vacant too long. So one of the things that we've done is to uh, address curb appeal, like looking at things like exterior painting, improved landscaping, fences, uh, windows and doors. And those are some of the specific things that we address through the do-it-yourself garland program. Fantastic. Now, kind of the opposite problem um, is something that uh, Scotty from Florida has written in. And, again, we have a lot of shy people, but if you want to come on and press star six, uh, we'd be open to that. But Scotty writes that um, they're in an urban neighborhood and facing the challenge of becoming even more urbanized and wondering um, if how you faced this challenge. And an example uh, that Scotty gives is that a popular restaurant moved into the neighborhood and residents were suddenly surprised that people park in front of their houses. So they're upset by this, clearly, but um, there's this give and take that needs to happen, I would assume. Well, I mean, as far as, as, far as the city of Garland, we are... We are not urban. We are suburban. So, uh, you know, that's, I, I don't know that there's, you know, that there's areas that we, where we've had to address that. Um, I know that, you know, we are working on some revitalization efforts, uh, in our, in our downtown core. Um, but as far as, you know, that, that circumstance is, is, uh, to my knowledge, I don't know if that's something we've really had to address. Uh, Scotty, are you on, are you on the line with us? Estelle, I'm on. Hello. Oh, that's Estelle. Yeah, I've been trying, and I had to go back through. I couldn't get through. I heard you call my name about oh. the seniors and the rental properties and whatnot. I listened to all of your uh, pointers given. <clears throat> excuse me. And a lot of those we have tried. We okay. tried with the younger ones to have uh, mom's day out that wherein they would bring their kids and we would keep them three or four hours on a Saturday so that they could go out, that didn't even materialize. Hmm. We have a lot of, uh, like I said, it's an elderly neighborhood. Parents, relatives have died out. Uh, rental property, they stay a while and then it's closed up and it's boarded up. So we've gone to door-to-door, we've passed flyers, we got a grant to mail every home in the neighborhood. Nothing seems to work. I just don't know what I can do now to try to entice these younger people because they are the ones that are coming in, but they are only renters. I see. So, um, Felissa, do you have any, any thoughts? It sounds like you go around, maybe you go door to door. It sounds like Estelle has tried just about every everything to get the younger people and the renters involved. Any any further tips for Estelle? Don't stop. Well, I think it's important to identify what you know what success would mean for you, because I think that a lot of times when we decide to take collective action, too often we decide that. Um, Success is based on, like, the number of people that maybe come out to a meeting or how many people you, um, you, you might see come out to whatever scheduled event that you have. Mm-hmm. But if the, if the goal is to 
change behaviors that produce a different result, whether those behaviors are are those that cause people to make some type of improvement in the way the neighborhood looks, or if you're trying to get people to change their social interaction behavior, you have to think about what are what would if we would be successful if people did these things, and so you think about what the ultimate thing is you would like to see happen and then figure out what are the baby steps that you can take to get there and then look for some type of low-hanging fruit and and the expectation that, and I think that uh, kind of uh, pay attention to the level of expectation because too often we look for 100% participation, but in most things that's never the case. But people may participate in different ways. So if you can find several different ways for people to participate that's not always measured by a meeting, I think that you can find some amount of success there. And it may not happen all at once. It, it may take time. But building relationships take time in whatever state or whatever condition that we're experience, that we experiencing that we don't particularly care for right now. It didn't happen overnight. So the process of turning that around is something that's going to take time and commitment. That 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 I agree with a hundred percent. And the only thing that we have had that was successful to bring all levels of out out was when we participate every August in National Night Out. That brings them, and we have done a little bit of everything to encourage them to come aboard to help help us to still continue to be the community that cares, and that's our slogan, and to help us to work with the houses that are next door to you. What can we do if they are boarded up? The yards are needing. Of course, you can't go onto property. You can clean it from the sidewalk out. That helps, but if you can't get the younger ones to come to anything except the one activity that you have that's fun night, you don't have that continuation of trying to help improve, like you say, the neighborhood or the neighborhood, if, even if it's block by block or what have you. And that's, that's a thing, that's, that's a, a real concern of ours. It sounds we are twenty we are twenty we are an organization that's twenty five years old. It sounds to me like um you are a great gift to your neighborhood and um I, I think what I, I heard both Scott and Felisa saying earlier mm-hmm. is keep at it. Well um, I'm doing that but we've got to move on to some other topics but that's um, fine, that's fine, that's Dr. fine. Hart. That's yeah. Fine. Thank you so much, and uh, you. For one of, so if there if there's a short response to that, but I'd like to get on to these this commercial area and re- making a commercial area more residential friendly. But uh, Felisa, uh, Felisa, and um, Scott, if you have just a, one more word you want to say to us, still, I don't want to shut you down. I'm good. Okay, so uh, a couple of people talked about. How do you uh, kind of revitalize a commercial area um, by making it more residentially uh, friendly? Uh, how do you get even residents to come downtown? Are there ways that you can uh, promote a downtown uh, to have a 
at least partial make it more residential. Well, and is that helpful? Well, um, I mean, for us, for us, for the city of Garland, our uh, the only um, on the only area along our Fifth Street, and I'm sorry, in our downtown area along Fifth Street, uh, a few years ago, they they uh, there was a development, a partnership with the city of Garland and another organization, uh, which is Fifth Street Crossing. And uh, that has uh, residential uh, on the upper level with uh, some commercial on the uh, lower commercial retail uh, space on the lower level, and we also made some improvements to a, another city-owned building where we put some uh, city services, did some made some improvements to the building. It's a green building, and added some city services to that. So to try to bring that commercial and, I'm sorry, the residential uh, retail corridor together. We've also made some enhancement to the library that's near, that's in downtown. And there's some some, uh, activity going on now where they're trying to improve the transit-oriented development in in the downtown area. But for us, most of that work is handled through uh, our current planning, uh, our current planning division, also with some guidance from our comprehensive planning division, and also uh, economic development, uh, the economic development department that was recently reestablished here in Garland. So they take on mo- most of that, and I think that um, for us, that's really a very new area when it comes to combining commercial and residential uh, friendly environments. That's, we're very new to that. Okay. Um, I also want to encourage everyone who's listening because we know that we have unbelievable um, talent out there. If you have thoughts for Estelle and uh, how to get a younger population of renters more involved, or if you have thoughts about a neighborhood that's becoming more crowded and urbanized and uh, how people are dealing with that, or even more ideas about challenges that foreclosure brings to neighborhoods, we really encourage you to um, join in and put your solutions or thoughts on the Google Doc, which also actually has at least four dozen references and resources for you. It's a terrific resource. Uh, Chris from Ottawa is, is wondering if you've tried any neighborhood governance so uh, residents can feel an involvement that results in real local solutions rather than um, having citywide institutions do their neighborhoods a favor. So that's how kind of he's seeing it. Um, He talks about that there are um, uh, BIDs for business areas, but nothing like that for residential areas. So again, what about neighborhood governance? Uh, you know, I mean, I I don't have any experience uh, with that, to tell you the truth, um, and so I, I'm not really I'm not really sure where what that leads to. Uh huh. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no problem. I mean, that's what you you aren't the folks with all the answers, but it's interesting <laughs> to get some of these, and you know, hopefully, other people will write in what they might understand um, about this and 
it might be quite different. I'm not sure if there are that many American cities or towns that do that kind of neighborhood governance. I'm not familiar with it at all. I think a lot of that, uh, I've seen uh, last year when I attended the NUSA conference in Minneapolis, I think in the Minneapolis, St. Paul area, they do a lot of neighborhood government governance where uh, many of the neighborhoods even have budgets to make large-scale improvements like bike trails, uh, city, you know, city parks with walkways, uh, and uh, green, huge green spaces and things like that. So that may be a great resource to refer to the work through uh, Minneapolis and uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area to, to check out their website. And uh, finally, we're getting near the end. Some folks are talking about how to integrate healthy communities, healthy ideas. I think you've talked about some walkways, bike paths. Uh, somebody's even talking about um, bringing in alternative energy. I'm not sure if that's really about healthy healthy neighborhoods. That's a movement. Is that part of what you bring to your work in neighborhoods? Uh, well, we don't. That's not uh, primarily what we do. Mm -hmm. But we, through our our uh, environmental waste services, stormwater management, and our water department, they work uh, close, very closely together to launch. Uh, uh, Garland Goes Green, and what our focus has been on most recently is recycling, uh, water conservation, and protecting our storm drains has been our main focus. But uh, uh, last year, I want to say maybe last year or the year before last, we passed a community gardening, prop uh, community gardening policy. And so while we don't do any of the planning and organizing for uh, community gardens, we do provide a resource for people who want to start community gardening on uh, city-owned property that's not currently being utilized. And so we have had several churches partner with neighborhood groups to start community gardens, and uh, one, one nonprofit is using a city-owned property for the first time to launch their community garden. And that organization is called uh, Loving Garland Green. And they are really doing a great job getting people mobilized. And we talked earlier about how to get young people involved. One of the things that I've noticed is that they've done a great job of getting young people involved uh, by talking about clean eating, uh, growing your own food. And I was very pleasantly surprised uh, as I've met several people in the organization that that has been great in stimulating uh, their involvement and um so they, they they blog, they teach classes, they go to different uh, they'll come they go to different properties who uh, residents who show an interest in having a garden on their property. So they uh, they go and they're very willing to provide education and resources. And so one of their plans is to do a lot more of that. So maybe we'll have a, a great story to tell this time next year about their efforts. That, that seems to be catching on across the country. It's really a great movement. Uh, so one last question. We're, we're out of time. So one thing that you would suggest that people do to jumpstart action towards invigorating their neighborhood and strengthening their community next week, what's, what's one thing that you would say to get people started? Scott, do you have something? You know, I would say, as I say to anybody, don't stop. 
Uh, if you've been doing it for a while, don't stop. Um, and, and when you have people come to you, they, people will come to you with ideas that at, at first glance may seem not quite what you want or whatever, but never discourage a volunteer. Um, never discourage anyone's idea. Uh, and, and just guide them. You know, if you have that experience, guide them, redirect them, um, and, and take their, you know, the thing that we have to learn to do a lot of times is, is to take people's great ideas or their best intentions and, and turn them into action. Um, and sometimes that might take some guidance. Sometimes that might take, uh, you know, some of us, you know, in a, in a leadership role to kind of you harness that energy and point them in the right direction. Thank you, Scott. And Felisa. Okay, I think that uh, the the advice that I would give is that to just have a clear focus on what it is that you want to do and what what what's the outcome that you're trying to achieve because you can't do everything and you can't uh, accomplish everything in in one year, one week, one year. So be very clear on what you're trying to accomplish. And then have very clear roles and expectations of how people can participate and be able to define what success means for you. If you are, if you're on the call and you're a nonprofit, one of the, a great resource as far as, uh, going, uh, achieving success is, uh, good to great and the social sector, mm-hmm. uh, which is by Jim Collins. And then for those, uh, associations that are out there that are trying to develop effective teams, effective leadership. Uh, I have enjoyed the readings of John Maxwell. He talks about how to win with people because as a leader, you've got to know how to use your influence if you're going to accomplish anything. So uh, his books, Winning with People and the Irrefutable Laws of Leadership and the Irrefutable Laws of Teamwork are great um resources for understanding how to be successful and working with people, moving teams forward, those things are very great. But then just have a vision for what you want to accomplish and make sure you align your activities, um, your budgets, whatever that is, align it with what to, with that outcome uh, for success. Thank you. Felisa Connor, for your insights and knowledge. You're very welcome. And thank you, Scott Lemay, for your on-the-ground perspective and your terrific leadership as well. Garland is very, very lucky to have you both. Thank you very much. We all hope you uh, uh, help us by adding to the Community Matters uh, document. We all benefit from your additional comments, answers, and expertise. A podcast of this call and all the call notes will be emailed to you and posted online. Caitlin just added a link to a five-question survey at the top of the Google Doc in the announcements section. So take a moment to complete the survey and tell us what you thought about the call today. It will help us learn how we can make our series more useful to you. Our next call on May 8th will be a webinar on community branding. It's a powerful tool for positioning communities based on their special and unique assets. And this will be a webinar, not just a call. So watch for information about that. We would also like to remind folks of the Citizens Institute on Rural Design's request for proposals for rural communities facing art and design challenges. Selected communities will receive $7,000 to support planning and implementation. 
of a multi-day design workshop and some technical support. You can visit rural-design.org for more information and the application, which is due May 6th, or you can find more um, a link on our website, communitymatters.org. Thank you all for participating, and good luck at making your neighborhoods and city even better places to live. I'm Fran Stoddard from the Orton Family Foundation. Thanks for letting us take you a little long. We hope you join us again in May. Bye-bye.